0: Welcome to a Pulp Event podcast, brought to you by the Pulp Net, your link to the online world of the pulp magazines for over 20 years. Online at thepulp.net. This Pulp Event podcast features Anthony Tollin of Sanctum Books and comic book veteran Tony Isabella discussing Street and Smith's second-string heroes, The Whisperer and The Skipper. The talk was recorded on July 21st. 2016 at Pulp Fest 2016 in Columbus, Ohio. Anthony Tullen begins.
1: As Mike mentions, The Whisperer and uh, Cap Fury were introduced to be kind of rougher, tougher versions of uh, The Shadow and Doc Savage. And a bit coarser. Bit less refined, they were created as an attempt to compete a bit more with the popular line of pulps. Especially, uh, the Whisperer was a response to the Spider, to do it tougher, grittier. And I know the the Whisperer is Tony Isabella's absolute favorite pulp hero. And I'd like to ask. Tony, what it is he likes about a character who is belligerent, uh, disrespectful of authority, and
2: short. You just answered the question. <laughs> I, I am the Whisperer, excuse me, I am the Whisperer. Uh, I am the Whisperer, uh, and, and the Whisperer was kind of the Wolverine of his day. Uh, he was uh, a police commissioner, James Gordon, Uh, where have
1: we, where did that name appear later?
2: You know, uh, you know, it's just on the tip of my tongue. I, you know, I, I have this batty notion,
1: James W. Gordon.
2: Um, he, um, he was a war hero who was brought in because the police department was corrupt and, and he was kind of forced on the mayor by, uh, some upstanding citizens and he would do things like punch out the deputy police commissioner about once a book, uh, and because he couldn't be quite rough and tough enough as a police commissioner, although he certainly tried, he devised this uh, disguise as a whisperer, uh, dressed in gray. Uh, you wouldn't really think anything about him in that in those days if you saw him walking down the street. Uh, you know, he'd have like prosthetic teeth and everything to make himself look different uh, he had he had a special
1: dental plate to yeah. change the shape of his face so he didn't look like Commissioner Gordon he, but he would that dust would also his hair cause with his, his gray voice stuff right but that caused his voice to just be a whisper he could only speak in a whisper but a scary whisper um, which of course was inspired by the whispered tones of Frank Reddick as the shadow uh, it was another variation on The Shadow.
2: Yeah, ba- basically, both of these characters we are talking about, as, as Tony said earlier, um, were responses to uh, what other Pulp Magazine publishers were doing. Um, Street and Smith had had tried to come up with some additional characters. They did Nick Carter. That didn't really go too well. There was a Western character that didn't go Pete too Rice. well. Pete Rice. Pete um, Rice. And they're sitting around basically saying, you know, everybody's ripping off the shadow and making money. Why don't we rip off the shadow too? And so the whisper was kind of devised to be um, another shadow, but for an
1: older audience. What, one of the interesting things about about the whisper and his world is it's a far less, you know, the shadow largely exists in the world of Lamont Cranston's polite society. And the Whisperer's secret headquarters is above a brothel. And just to show how radical that was in the mid-30s in pulps, there was a 1930s pulp editor who was fired for allowing the word brothel to appear in one of his pulp magazines he edited. So to have a character who actually existed i mean it was never explained what a brothel was but who existed in the same world with brothels and bars
2: i just i just realized here's another similarity when i lived in new york i lived in a penthouse apartment which sounds more impressive than it was but the hotel where i lived was mostly welfare people uh college students hookers and pimps and the hookers used to come up to i had a roof outside my Penthouse apartment, and and the hookers would come up to the roof to sunbathe. So the whisperer lived above a brothel. I had hookers out on my porch, basically. Yeah, but generally they worked at another hotel nearby. They didn't. Right. Oh, they didn't the work. work. Yeah, they didn't work in in the hotel consulate where and, I lived.
1: And by the way, years before your penthouse, which Tony allowed me to live in for a couple months, which helped me get started in comics. Uh, Whose penthouse was it decades before?
2: Damon Runyon, whose stories inspired Guys and Dolls.
1: And uh, the the immediate occupants before Tony were the composers of Hare, right. Rodney and
2: So it was really going downhill. You know, you went from Damon Runyon to Hare to It the Living Colossus. Uh, but it was a great it was across the street from the famous Brill building, which is how I finally figured out that I was living in Damon Runyon's old old place, because they talked about how Damon Runyon used to live across the street from the Brill Building, which was the big music industry. In the Hotel
1: Forest, which was what right. the concert hotel was right. named back then. Right,
2: and, and down down the way, the street a little bit, was the Eugene O'Neill Theater, which was owned by Neil Simon, who was probably my favorite modern playwright. Uh, you know, one of the things about, the,
1: about both Uh, The Skipper, Cap Fury, and The Whisperer is (laughs) they were really created by committee in what became the norm uh, with Doc Savage. Street and Smith had been caught by surprise, they'd only issued The Shadow as a way of protecting the name, trademarking the name, because at that time you couldn't trademark a radio show. And uh, they wanted to make sure no other publisher absconded with the name. They determined they'd do like four quarterly issues to secure their rights to the name. And they really, at that time in the Depression, weren't expecting any success. Walter Gibson pointed out that the only magazines that were launched in 1931 that were successful were The Shadow and Ballyhoo. And because they had no real hopes for it, they'd allowed Walter to do pretty much whatever he wanted. I mean, he, outside of the name The Shadow and the laugh and the catchphrase The Shadow Knows, everything about The Shadow was created by Walter Gibson, Lamont Cranston, um, Commissioner Weston, Inspector Cardona, uh, and when Doc Savage was developed, John Nanovic in consult, uh, they developed, they had con- some consultations with, uh, between, uh, you know, Lester Dan and other people in the development of the character. Well, and then say, John Nanovic wrote a 7,000 word novelette.
2: But to say they're created by committee might give the wrong idea because while the editors would come up with the basics, they'd bring the writers on board fairly soon. Uh, mm-hmm. Lawrence Donovan, who wrote um, both, the, Cap, skipper and both the, the Skipper and the Whisperer uh, was a sailor. And so a lot of, of his experiences, you know, helped refine and define Cap Fury. And it was also uh,
1: Lester Dent's influence right. because Lester Dent had had his 37-foot schooner, the Albatross. And, you know, he went on treasure hunting expeditions. Now, one of the interesting things about Cap Fury is uh, a former employer of Tony Isabella's, uh, you may have heard of named Stan Lee, is noted for having a terrible memory. Yes. Uh, you know, he remembers some pulp characters, the Spider and Doc Savage, uh, but he had totally forgotten the Shadow was ever a pulp magazine. He remembered the radio show, but he didn't know there was a Shadow pulp magazine. But Stan Lee, in several interviews, had said things such as, Quote, there were many pulp mags that I read. There was one called, I think, Captain Fury, about a guy who had a beat up rusty scowl of a ship. But when evil threatened, he pushed a button and his old scowl turned into the sleekest, fastest ship in the sea. I loved them all. And The Skipper was a personal favorite of Stan's. And I think you will notice that when he did book set in roughly the pretty close to the time frame. In the early 40s, he did one called uh, Sergeant Fury and His Howling Commandos, commandos. which, of course, uh, Fury was a name that had stuck with him from his young days as a pulp fan. And then when there was a spinoff of that book, it was Captain Captain Savage Savage and His Leatherneck Raiders. And it's really no doubt as to where the names Fury and Savage came from. And Fury, of course, has gone on to be a, a major character in the Marvel Cinematic Universe.
2: And is still a major player in their comic books. Mm-hmm. Uh, although now it's actually the Nick Fury that's in the comic books is the son of, of Nick Fury. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Stan, Stan's memory. I mean, catch me sometime, and, and I will tell you uh, my story about Stanley riding uh, a horse through Central Park. Uh Stan's memory is very good when he's got a good story to tell. If you ask him details about who did what, stuff like that. But if he's got a good story, he's such a showman that those he remembers. And what is the character again? He was in costume as a masked Black Rider.
1: Black Rider. Okay. And he's on the cover Stan of Lee, number
2: of number one, it's a photo cover. It's the first thing you see when you walk into Stanley's POW Entertainment Offices in california uh and underneath the mask it's stan lee which i could actually tell because you know i recognize stan's eyes which you know uh i'd worked very closely with stan uh when i first got to marvel so i you know spent a lot of my time staring intently at stan and learning all sorts of things from him but yeah ask me you know not in the purview purview of this panel but ask me about stan lee and the black rider it's a great story one of
1: the interesting things about uh, the whisper and cap fury, as I said, is it is a more uh, more of a world where issues are s- settled by punching someone out.
2: Yeah, there's there's no there's a code of honor, but the code of honor is expansive enough to include beating the crap out of people sometimes just to get information from them or just because they're bad people and you want to beat the crap out of them.
1: When D.C. later did a comic called The Vigilante, not the Prairie Troubadour character, but one Marv Wolfman did, and it was a district attorney who, who fought crime on the side, and I took the promotional page for The Whisperer on a good American, all-American cop who doesn't let himself get hampered by silly little rules like <laughs> habeas corpus and civil liberties and, and such. And I replaced the uh, the Whisperer logo with Vigilante. And Marv thought it was an actual house ad that DC was doing <laughs> because it, it fit the character. But, you know, uh, I had the Whisperer, when I reprinted it, and I reprinted uh... the first fourteen whisperer novels and a number of short stories uh... there were two runs of the whisperer this is one of the things uh, in both cases when the pulp magazines were done in by by the depression uh... the skipper and the whisperer uh... both were moved into short stories uh, respectively in the back of doc savage and the shadow but the whisperer a few years later came back and was revived for a second series of pulps which ran uh, 10 issues, with a different writer, Alan Hathaway, who was uh, later the founding, uh, not the founding, the second editor of Newsday, and he was the one who guided it into its Pulitzer Prize-winning period. Uh, Lawrence Donovan, uh, like so many pulp writers who who wrote the original runs of both The Whisperer and Cat Fury, was a former newspaper man and a hard-drinking writer. was not uncommon among yeah. pulp writers. And uh
2: or comic book writers back then.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh but he had just come off of uh writing, I believe, twelve Doc Savage novels. And what had happened was Street and Smith initially planned to move Doc Savage to twice a month, like the Shadow. But then they did uh, newsstand market surveys, and they found that uh, the shadow was almost sold out by the end of its second week, whereas Doc Savage toward the end of its month would have a resurgence of sales that people would buy it at the last moment. And they decided to cancel plans, but they had hired Lawrence Donovan to... Basically, the plan was that Lester Dent would write 12 Doc Savage novels a year and Lawrence Donovan would. And uh, during some of that time, Lester Dent took time off to write the Doc Savage radio show. Uh, But anyway, Lawrence Donovan um, was put directly uh, writing The Skipper and The Whisperer, and I think he wrote like the first half dozen of one and then moved over to the other. And he was someone who could write you know, easily a novel or, or two a month.
2: The Skipper was originally scheduled, he started on the Skipper. Right. And, and wrote a bunch of those, and then, as Tony said, moved over to the Whisperer. But for some reason, maybe because the Spider was selling so well, the Whisperer ended up coming out a few months before the Skipper. Right, well, as I
1: said, Stradin Smith had realized that Popular w- was competing fairly well with more violent versions, with a more violent version of The Shadow. And that so Street and Smith decided to do a more violent version of The Shadow themselves. One of the problems I've, I've always felt with Street and Smith's uh, heroes subsequent to The Shadow is they tended to be extremely derivative. The Shadow was a lucky accident. And when Street and Smith developed subsequent radio shows, Doc Savage, uh, Nick Carter, uh, they tended to do what had succeeded. They tended, you had Doc Savage with an opening, uh, with a filtered opening and a filtered voice talking, you know, about, with an opening that had somewhat the feel of the who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men's shadow opening. and. Uh, Same with Nick Carter, in fact, Nick Carter, uh, The Shadow had just gone from twice monthly to monthly, and they sent Walter Gibson into developing uh, the new Nick Carter radio show. And Gibson plotted all the shows and co-wrote a number of them for the uh, first season of Nick Carter and also the first season of Chick Carter. But this was, I think, a problem that Street and Smith always had, is that one series after another they would just do an imitation of Radio of the Shadow. And this, um, There was a huge element of, well, this worked for the Shadow and this worked for Doc Savage. So let's do it again. And of course, the ultimate of that occurred in 1939 when they introduced the Avenger, which was uh, a Doc Savage-like character. Uh, but with agents like the Shadow, and a master of disguise like the Shadow. Uh, So once again, these were all—Will Murray had a very interesting um, introduction in the first issue of his 1970s fan scene Duende, where he talked about the Shadow and Doc Savage as being elemental characters, and a lot of the other pulp heroes as being alloys uh the Avenger was certainly an alloy. He was an alloy combining the shadow and Doc Savage. The Whisperer was let's take this elemental, the shadow, and add a few things from, you know, other pulp series and the toughness of the the violence of the spider and the yeah. toughness of hard boiled detective fiction and such.
2: But one of the one of the key things, you know, one of the more important parts of the Whisperer, which wasn't from Shadow or Doc Savage was the idea that this is a police commissioner who's posing as a supervillain to fight crime and that wasn't really lifted from either the Shadow or Doc Savage. And and one of the interesting things you know
1: there is you know the, the idea of the lawman who once again doesn't want to be bounded with silly things like civil liberties and habeas corpus and, and uh, uh, the only subscriptions I ever had, uh, I had a couple of people who subscribed to The Whisperer and after the first issue or two said, can you transfer my, my subscription to The Shadow or Doc Savage? Because they presented the character and I kind of had to say, I mean, I'm, I, I hate it in real life when the police do things like The Whisperer does, but it's fiction. And it's fiction set in the '30s, and
2: uh, and it's a it's a, a character model. I mean, uh, the Mac Boland, the Executioner, who was created by Don Pendleton, kind of a of a pulp hero for the for the '70s and '80s. Uh, they've done hundreds, maybe a thousand of these books by then. I wrote, I read like the first 150 Mac Boland books. Uh, and certainly he was a killer. You know, they, he was a careful killer. Only bad people died, from him at least. But, yeah, I mean, there's always this, you know, Dirty Harry, uh, Mac Bolin, so- Wolverine, uh, so many. This is a line of heroes who, who step, I mean, all superheroes and pulp heroes pretty much step outside the, the law. I mean that's kind of what they do I mean sure a few like Doc Savage were kind of sanctioned but it's a tradition of of heroes working outside the law uh and some of them go further outside the law than others
1: and and the whisper was certainly yes one of them um followed the laws and and you know it's talking about influences I mean you have in The Spider, you have this character who, who is the best friend of the police commissioner, and Kirkpatrick continually tells him, you know, look, Dick, you know, you and I both know that you're The Spider. I can't prove it. But, and when I can, I'll be duty bound to bring you to justice. But until then, you're my best friend, and The Spider does a lot of good. but. <laughs> You know, I'm watching you, and as soon as I can prove it. The latest spider, which I just sent off to the printer, uh, for reasons of his health, uh, Kirkpatrick has to step down from being the police commissioner and appoints Richard Wentworth, uh, his successor, temporarily. And uh, so, but I think one of the things we have to say, though, is while they didn't have the success of the Shadow or Doc Savage. There were parts of the series and one of the reasons the characters are still interesting is because they do break the rules and they they are less refined and Street and Smith was this kind of progressively geriatric company. I mean, it was a dime novel company. They'd been based uh, you know, they they had their largest success on Nick Carter who was this very generic character. Um, One of the interesting things I find about the Street and Smith characters is uh, they were very conscious of the hero's heights. Nick Carter had been called the little giant and he was wonderfully played in the TV movie by Robert Conrad who looked like Nick Carter and was born to play Nick Carter. and you had Doc Savage, who was like six foot six or something, and you had the shadow who was probably around six feet tall. You can't be much taller than six feet and still have be a master of disguise. You, you can't be six, three and six, four in disguising yourself right. as people, because you're just too noticeable. But then you had the Avenger, who was Richard Henry Benson, who was five foot eight, and you had the whisperer, Commissioner Gordon, who was five foot two. And patterned very much, uh, it appears, on some police commissioner roles played by James Cagney in movies. And there's a whole lot of Jimmy Cagney's personality, oh yeah, yeah, his screen persona, uh, in The Whisperer. But I threw it to you, and you, for what I knew would be a joke, as to what you liked about this uh, abrasive, uh, belligerent, disrespectful of authority short. Character. But, uh, you know, and, and you know, that may be part of his appeal too. Albert Payson Triune, uh, who was six foot three himself, but he said when he wrote his fiction, mostly in women's magazines at that time, the hero was always of average height or less because he said, you know, almost all readers were of average height or less, and almost all female readers were married to men who were average height or less. So in his stories, the you know the six foot three guy was the villain, the bully.
2: I I have a tendency to like. I mean, my favorite uh, comic book western character is the Rawhide Kid, who was five foot three. Mm-hmm. Um, it was not just you know, yeah. The, wizard, the whisperer is short and belligerent. He's also very disrespectful of authority, <coughs> which of course was. Something else uh, that, that, you know, as a, as a well-known liberal crank, uh, I'm also very disrespectful of authority. So there was a lot of things I see, you know, I see myself in The Whisperer. Um, but quite frankly, with a good writer, you see yourself in these characters, whether you have any physical similarities or not. Um, Doc Savage was clearly somebody that I admired uh, set a kind of set a standard uh, the good writers find a way to bring their entire audience into the character in some way there's something in these characters that you respond to and and both both
1: Cap Fury and this is of course a lesson they'd learned from the shadow and Doc Savage had a good supporting cast right uh, Cap Fury had the people who sailed on his ship, the Whirlwind. There's also Lita the Leopard Woman, who was the female lead and who was their version of Pat Savage. Yeah. And John Manovic's nickname for Pat Savage was always Tarzana, that she was a kind of considered a female Tarzan. They, so that when they did The Skipper, they went with a real female, you know, a woman you know, raised in the jungle, you know, by him by animals. But in The Whisperer, you had, of course, the mayor. You had uh, Bolton, the deputy police commissioner. You had Quick Trigger Traeger. Uh, who was kind of a mentor to... The f- mentor of,
2: of Wildcat Gordon. Right. Uh, his daughter, Tiny, who was kind of the, the feisty uh, female uh, sidekick. She's a great character. She's a great, oh, she's a terrific character. She's feisty. Uh, it's one of those romances where, like, you know, she doesn't understand why, the, you know, why James Gordon hasn't figured out that, that she's the perfect woman for him. Uh, and she would be. She would be. I mean, their fights would be epic uh, if they ever did get together. But, but yeah, she's a great character.
1: And, uh, and there's that family quality because, you know, Traeger is the mentor of, of...
2: Tiny reminds me of Maureen O'Hara from The Quiet Man, just shorter.
1: Mm-hmm. And, uh, but yeah, the Whisperer stories especially I, I recommend. I wish Captain Fury had sold better for Sanctum Books. Uh, the Whisperer, as I said, we actually got... Um, there were people who just really the character rubbed them the wrong way, who uh, were too sympathetic with the mayor, perhaps. But uh, uh, another thing, uh, another member of the Whisperer supporting cast was Brian Boru, who was his Scottish Terrier, who was not Gordon's Scottish Terrier, he was the Whisperer's, and uh, was his crime-fighting dog, and was uh, just—and there's something appropriate in the whisperer's dog being a terrier because terriers are a smaller dog and a very feisty you know terriers were dogs like dachshunds that would go down into tunnels after after game and and uh, were very feisty little dogs so it was an appropriate companion for the whisperer I've always felt that the whisperer should be in comics, and I've recommended it to Dynamite Comics. I mean, I have felt uh that some company, uh Marvel or Dynamite, should do what I did. Uh you know, my my books were frequently subtitled Police Commissioner Gordon. You know, aka the Whisperer, or The Secret Life of Police Commissioner James W. Gordon.
2: And I would be willing. To punch a whole lot of editors and artists and writers in the face, uh, to write *The Whisperer*.
1: By the way, the, the, uh, could mention a little bit on on the cover art, uh, the artist's art of *The Whisperer*. Oh yeah, those. Uh, the first couple covers were by Tom Lovell, uh, who had been the longtime Shadow interior artist, who soon moved on to. Uh, eventually become one of the great uh, American illustrative painters, was considered by Everett Raymond Kinsler and others in his later years to be the greatest still-living American illustrative painter. Uh, He was replaced as a whisperer cover artist by John Newton Howitt, who was the spider cover artist, working in a different style than the spider. But it just once again shows that and Smith was going, was trying with these books to go after the market of popular, the more violent, the less refined. Um, and to try and make inroads into the market that, that, you know, popular had done the spider as an imitation of the shadow, but there's no pulp character probably as different from the shadow. The shadow is battles hidden men, corporate crime, uh, the spider exists in a comic book, Jack Kirby comic book world, where cities are destroyed mm-hmm. you know, from month to month, uh, where plagues are, are
2: reached upon, you know, upon the cities. Just getting back into to the appeal of these darker heroes, um, what's probably the biggest audience cheer during Raiders of the Lost Ark? It's when Indiana Jones guns down a guy
1: <laughs> with, a, does, sword.
2: with yeah. a sword from a distance. And the audiences go crazy over that scene. And, and I do too. It's I cold-blooded did, murder. But it's uh, cold-blooded murder, but so, so audiences do respond to that. Now it's,
1: it was totally unexpected because you weren't expecting was, the hero was. to just, okay, this guy is wielding a sword. He's much better with a sword. How will I
2: deal with this? Oh, I'll shoot him. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and, uh.
2: um, I'm, you know I'm I'm one of those guys I mean I like what I call the white hat heroes uh, I think it's important for the heroes to be better than the villains they face morally uh, but I also like the darker characters too I mean I like the Punisher I I like uh, Mac Bowen I mean all these things can be taken too far Wolverine you know, it was taken way too far, uh, the Punisher, but there, there is a there is an attraction to to these kind of heroes, uh, the Dirty Harry movies, uh, Death Wish.
1: And Dirty Harry again is another example of the lawman who
2: the lawman who goes outside the law. Uh, Death Wish, you know, is the average citizen who's just had. Too much, and, and if you ever want to have some fun, go on YouTube. Uh, you can find videos where they keep track of all the deaths in the Death Wish movies. Uh, some of them get to really, you know, close, close to triple digits in some of these.
1: Here, here is the page of introduction uh, that let off the whisper number one The Whisperer. In the pages of this magazine, you will become acquainted with a new character a vigorous, fascinating, unusual individual who dares to do what others have thought of doing, what others have felt ought to be done. There is nothing strange about this character. He is just a good, hard-hitting American cop who sees that the law is often made helpless by rules and regulations, and who has decided to sweep aside red tape when he deems it necessary. He meets out justice as he sees it. If the evidence points to the crook as guilty, the crook his just punishment even if the evidence is not the type that would stand up in court. In other words, this man's method is refreshingly American. (laughs) Real, true, sincere, and honest. His job is to uphold the law, and uphold it he does, despite all the silly routine difficulties that might get in the way. You know, habeas corpus, and. he fits, we believe, the real American ideal of the individual who gets things done, the one who gets his man regardless of obstacles in the way, like the law. <laughs> we sincerely hope he will catch your fancy and hold it, the editor.
2: And, and, I'm, and the, here's the thing, I'm one of, the, I'm one of those folks who, who believes in the rule of law, who gets outraged when authority figures uh, you know, break the law, lie to the public, uh, gun down unarmed people uh and yet there's a darkness in all of us and and so i respond to the whisperer and and the even the shadow i mean would you know plug away people uh and the spider is just part of me that responds to that but there is something i also realize though that it's fiction right And, and i don't think you know if i suddenly became a police commissioner Uh, The Whisperer would not be my role model for that job. But it's fun to read. Oh, it's incredibly fun to read. And I mean, you know... uh, It's a way of working out the frustrations, uh, because obviously the rule of law is very important. Civil rights are very important. Uh, You know, we created this country for... to protect the rights of its citizens. Uh, but you get frustrated sometimes because there's always people who gain the system. Uh, and so when you get frustrated, you pick up one of these books and you see justice, however rough, served. Uh, not in a way that you would be okay with in real life, but it works fine in a story.
1: One of the things I've noticed in The Whisper The Whisper is drawn by Paul Orban. And Paul Orban seemed far more inspired on in The Whisperer than he was on Doc Savage, illustrating Doc Savage. I mean, I think he just felt there was more in the...
2: Well, it's also more profitable. A short hero uses less ink.
1: Yes, Tony. Uh, no, but I mean, he really seems to put a lot more oh, work yeah. and a lot more...
2: Uh, you have a bunch of these for sale at Yes. the table. You should really, you know, buy The Whisperer.
1: Uh and if I sell out here, you can always order them from Sanctum Books. Whisperer also appeared in comic books, as did the Skipper. Although the Skipper, uh, the comic book version was called Cap Fury, which is the name I went with. Yeah, I just felt it was a more commercial. It's a better book. name, right? And uh, I think maybe the magazine might have lasted longer had it been titled Cap Fury rather than.
2: Now uh, they've de- they've never really given an ex- is there any explanation for why they went with the Skipper instead of Cap Fury? No. Okay. The, uh... Well, let's make something up.
1: But, <laughs> uh,
2: but no, I mean, it, it's Skipper interesting. Skipper was the name of the editors who created the character's dog. Mm-hmm. And he loved that dog so much. And when he lost that dog, he wanted to memorialize him by naming a magazine after him. That works. <laughs> uh,
1: no, I like, as they said, I mean, you know, I like both these series. Uh but the Whisperer, you know, it, it, as Tony said, if this was happening in real life, I'd be mad as hell that the yeah. police, you know, I mean, we're we're uh you know, there's a lot of even today, and over the years, I mean, people tend to get outraged when police Violate the law. Uh, Orson Welles' movie, The Touch of Evil, really examines that wonderfully. Uh, originally, it was called Badge of Evil, but A Touch of Evil. We have a corrupt cop who has, and one of the great things in that movie is that the character Welles plays uh, has this tremendous arrest and conviction level because he plants evidence and frames them, but Wells also brings out, and this is one, one of the brilliance of the film, that the people actually are guilty. Uh, so there is the, you know, the cop is shown to be reprehensible for doing it the way he's doing it, but he's actually has been convicting the people who are actually guilty.
2: And you know, both of these characters, I would love to see them brought into modern times. Uh, I know there are some pulp fans that just can't wrap their heads around taking these characters out of the 1930s or 1940s, but think, I mean, with, with, for example, the CGI technology of movies, how cool Cap Fury's ship could be. Uh, Think about the social issues that a modern version of The Whisperer could bring up. Uh, These second string heroes could be A-list characters brought into the modern times treated with respect uh, and going at them with with the thought of doing not just an exciting adventure story but exciting adventure stories that, that touch on our lives.
1: And, and you know when Gotham started I sent letters to, to Dynamite's publisher Saying, I think you should get this character. You know, Gotham's a hot series on the air. You could be doing your own comic book series of, you know, the hard-hitting adventures of Police Commissioner James Gordon. By the way, that's always seemed to me that that might explain why Police Commissioner Gordon in the Batman stories is is so sympathetic with working with a a masked vigilante. uh, It could be that he was. It could be the
2: whisperer just.
1: He was formerly the Whisperer, and is A now, more
2: mature uh, Whisperer.
1: <laughs> although he's taller than the Gordon, of the story. Lifts. But, oh, okay. Lifts yeah. in his shoes. Well, then it's fine to wear lifts as long as you're not Greek. Yeah. You should be aware of Greeks wearing lifts. But the, uh, are there any questions on uh, these series? We're down to the last couple of minutes. Uh, uh the whisperer ran 14 issues in its first run then there were about 30 stories in the back of the shadow magazine and then there were 10 issues in the second run so 24 issues in all and i think it was a dozen or 14 or so about the same run as the whisperer but it did not have the second run but uh cap fury moved into the back of doc savage and had 30 or 40 stories there and uh Uh, uh, Lawrence Donovan continued to write uh, The Skipper longer than he did The Whisperer probably because he uh, as a former sailor he may have been more sympathetic or felt he had more. Uh, And they both, both of them you know the, the Shadow and Doc Savage comic books at Street and Smith were actually anthology titles and so, along with Norgil and Click Rush, the Gadget Man, and the Whisperer, and Nick Carter, uh, they had another life in uh, Strange Smith Comics. Is there someone else with? It?
0: I just wondered if you printed all the Whisperer stories, or is that still ongoing?
1: I did all of it in the first series, and I'm I'm considering some options. One of the things I've considered possibly doing. Is a Crime Busters magazine uh, featuring The Whisperer as the lead novel, but with stories from Crime Busters like Carrie Cashin. And uh, there was also a Whisperer story in Crime Buster, a longer novelette, but to do uh, stories like Carrie Cashin and Norgil the Magician and Click Rush the Gadget Man and some of the other back features from Street and Smith magazines. Uh, but to do a, a, a crime busters magazine of crime busters starring the whisperer or something uh, uh, that sounds like a
2: great idea mm-hmm. you should do that
1: okay i, I may <laughs> consider doing that uh I, there's a lot of richness and and another series i just like to mention and which uh, as a second okay as a second string character, Carrie Cashin, if you get any chance to read the Carrie Cashin stories from Crime Busters, a female detective who owns her own agency but can't get clients because she's a woman at the time and, and sexism, so she hires a big dumb male jock to act as a front man detective uh, because the clients will feel secure with this big strong jock and then she'll go, she goes out and solves the cases. He's just a front for her. And of course, that's very much Remington Steele's later from the Sun TV. Thank you for coming. And I'm sorry we're not Will Murray, who I know had prepared something. Uh, but again, thank you, Tony, Isabella, and thank uh, you for having me. Uh, <clears throat> welcome to uh, Pulp Fest and the first uh, programming event of the convention.
0: You've been listening to a Pulp Event podcast brought to you by the Pulp Net your link to the online world of The Pulp Magazines for over 20 years. Please visit us online at thepulp.net. Thank you for listening, and keep reading The Pulps. The Pulp Event Podcast is copyright 2016.